ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Hi, Kirsty Melville here and welcome to the History Listen. Over 200 years ago, Tupaki, one of the first documented Māori chiefs to arrive in Sydney, was gifted a silver medal, a taonga, by Governor Gidley King. At the time of Tupahi, he embraced the two worlds coming together. Although they were in conflict, but out of conflict comes the resolution for peace, to finding a pathway forward. But then, the medal disappeared. This is an important taonga to us, but also to our nation. It is meaning for our people and will bring them back together again. It belongs to an important rangatira and it was part of an important gift. It recognises the sovereignty of the Crown, but also the sovereignty of Māori people. Two centuries later, this treasured medal resurfaced in a Sydney auction house. Although this story is deeply sad for narrators Naranoa Renata and daughter Fetu Silva, telling it has been an opportunity to reimagine and reclaim their history. New Zealand's Māori language helps tell the story, starting with the medal, the Taonga, which roughly translates into English as treasure. Naranoa Renata takes up the story. No mai haere mai, welcome to this pūrāko, a story about a silver medal, a taonga moulded, that was gifted to Tapahi, a paramount chief of the northern tribes of Aotearoa. This is a story about great exchange between two worlds, two cultures of hope. This is a story from the heart, with deep personal meaning for me and my whanau, my family, with our whakapapa, our genealogy going all the way back to this tangata, this leader, he rangatira. He mokapona hau, no nati kahu ki fangaroa, no reira, kongaro no renata, ahau. We are descendants of Te Pahi. Kofitsuati Doreen Silva, Tokuingwa. Tene me ko te taonga, ka katsukuihu, katsukuihu, katsukuihu. Te reo he taonga, ngā whakakai kai runga te, kai rote te taringa, kai, kai, kai te kaki e, e mauana, he taonga ena. He taonga te kōrero, te whakapapa, ngā kōrero pepeha a o tātau mātua tīpuna, ngā kōrero pūrākau, kai kona katoa. Māori Aura, Sir Hardy Williams. So, Taonga embraces a wide area of meaning. Now, it could be a waiata, a few notes in a waiata. It could be a piece in a whakapapa where it identifies your name. It could be a greenstone, a piece that people wear that has a story, has a name, and that identifies with the land with the ancestors, with the source of that particular tribe. Now in Tapahi's case, he had a relationship with uh, 
the governor in Sydney, King, Philip King. And so to cement that relationship, a taonga was moulded. In 2014, that taonga, a silver medal given to our ancestor Te Pahi two centuries before, appeared for auction at Sotheby's in Sydney. We had lost trace of it. And then all of a sudden, last week, we were advised that it was going up for auction. We're talking about two centuries of shared history between our two countries. So now we see it, now we don't. And it's, and it's so disappointing. And just as Kiribaba, O Ngāuri Orahiri pays his respects to our ancestral taonga, he was quickly escorted out when he stood up to speak. It's actually a sad, sad moment for us because after 204 years, we see it for a week and it's gone. Gary Singer was the director of Sotheby's at the time. If they had a claim, they should have put up their hand and said ages ago, gee, this, you know, this medal belonged to me, where is it? Professor Deirdre Brown, historian at the University of Auckland and a direct descendant of Te Pahi, was sent an article that Te Pahi's medal was to go up for auction at Sotheby's. So on the day of the auction, it was all over the Sydney Morning Herald plus a number of major Australian newspapers, these people doing these very brave huckers outside Sotheby's. Also, that was the day that we were potentially going to court, and I'd signalled at that point that I couldn't afford to be the plaintiff, and they were seeking other plaintiffs in my place. For Deirdre, the cost of seeking an injunction to stop the sale of Te Pahi's medal would have been over $800,000. I had to think, you know, would it be worth potentially losing my house over this? And I was mindful of the fact that a lot of my research had been about the loss of Te Pahi's house. And I'd wondered whether or not he would want me to lose my house in trying to get the medal back. The medal was made by uh, two convicts called Austin and Murant. They were bank forgers, one was Irish and the other one was French, and they were employed making trinkets for Mrs King, Philip Gidley King's wife, the Governor of New South Wales's wife. The medal is made out of two silver watch cases hammered together, and that was because bullion was in short supply in New South Wales at the time. It has a beautiful inscription on it, but I guess more importantly from us, you'll see that the letters King George are the same size and in the same font as Te Pahi, which is large and capitalised, which indicates that perhaps the people that made it and the people that instructed them to make it wanted to put Te Pahi on the same par as the King of England. This was the first known taonga of its kind to be gifted to a rangatira of Aotearoa, pre He Whakaputanga, the Declaration of Independence, and Te Tiriti or Waitangi, the Treaty of Waitangi three significant markers in our shared history. 
I think what's really interesting about the award of this medal by Governor King in Sydney in 1806 is that it was spontaneous recognition by a trading partner of a substantial volume of trade and migration across the Tasman at a period long before the treaty in 1840. Roy Clear, director of the Auckland War Memorial Museum. And it is interesting to look at what Queen Victoria instructed her first governor at the time of 1840 and the signing of the treaty. She warned that proper respect should be paid to Maori trade and to the investment that had been made by Maori people in understanding what the potential of trade was. So I think this is just a very vivid example of a recognition from a third party of Tipahi's significance as an entrepreneur. The job of the rangatira was to protect the whānau in the village. And the rangatira had the authority, absolute authority over the whole tribe. Only the rangatira can gift a piece of land. Māori aura Sir Hardy Williams explains Te Pahi's rangatiratanga. People like Te Pahi were gifting land to missionaries, to build schools, to build churches, to build hospitals, to build roads in New Zealand, and to open up a new country. During the early 19th century, Te Pahi travelled twice to the British colony of New South Wales. There was great celebration on his arrival. Hōhepa a descendant of Te Pahi based in Sydney, describes Te Pahi's reception on the first visit. He was one of the first documented, noted arrivals of Māori chiefs there that had pageantry. He was seen as an important person in the new colonies. He also was starting to acquire and generate relationships where he could see trade opportunities, where he could take hold of certain things and transfer those to his people of New Zealand, but also to increase his own mana in the area, mana being his prestige, being his standing, to increase that not just with his people, but with all the tribal people around him. Tupahi went to Sydney in 1805 with four of his sons because he'd heard of the generosity of Philip Gidley King, who had hosted other Māori uh, in the previous century. And he went to Philip Gidley King. Philip Gidley King instantly knew who he was as someone who had assisted a number of whalers and sealers in supplying them with uh, potatoes and wood and water and offered him generosity. And between them, they built this really important relationship, this mutual understanding. King saw significant trade opportunities with Māori in the Bay of Islands and then gave him this medal as, uh, I guess, to show him how he esteemed his friendship and wanted this to continue. But more importantly, the medal recognised from one sovereign nation, the British Crown, the sovereignty of Māori within the Bay of Islands. Tapahi grew up in that world where aliens came across the seas they arrived on our shores, never before seen. And in that moment, everything changed and it would never, ever be the same. This is curator Matu Baker, inside Te Papa Tongarewa, the Museum of New Zealand, describing Te Pahi's worldview and leadership role. He was groomed to leadership from birth. He carried the burden of responsibility for a great many people, not that I think he ever thought it would be a burden. And 
just the way that he engaged with the opportunity that was presented in that moment and went out on that intrepid journey, knowing, well, not knowing, what would be the outcome of that. He took his children with him, his family went with him, he put everything on the line. And it's just a remarkable odyssey, an absolute visionary hero in our history. So Tapahi spent around three months in New South Wales and pretty much as soon as he arrived, he was greeted by Governor King. Historian Dr Rowan Howitt explains how Tepahi and Governor King developed a mutual understanding. Tepahi came with a proposal for King to send a surgeon to, and possibly some other British colonists to live at the Bay of Islands with Tepahi and he would send some of his people back to New South Wales to work as shepherds. So Tapahi, at the end of his three-month stay in New South Wales, Governor King chartered a ship called the Lady Nelson to specifically take Tapahi and his family back to New Zealand and ensure that they arrived safely. And as they were preparing for that departure from Sydney, Tapahi was gifted an enormous range of, of goods. The most famous one is a silver medal that was made on King's orders and inscribed for Tapahi. But he was also given huge amounts of, of tools, of seeds, a British military uniform, and perhaps most interestingly, a um, prefabricated house. It was packed into the Lady Nelson and sent back with him. And I think the one disappointment that Tapahi had in his stay in New South Wales was that he and King had discussed this idea of King sending a surgeon and possibly some other colonists to live under Tapahi's protection who could help to orchestrate trade, while Tapahi would then send back some of his people to work as shepherds and learn pastoral skills. This didn't happen. King pulled out of the project when, just before Tipahi left, he received news that his resignation had been accepted, so he didn't want to commit his successor to that project. So I think that was Tipahi's one disappointment, and King records Tipahi as, as being much chagrined by this disappointment. But then Tipahi takes matters into his own hands in a way. Through Tipahi's hard work, through Tapahi's hard trade, he created surpluses for the Napuhi people in the far north. Hoheparuhe, a descendant of Tapahi. He created livestock excess, he created crop excess. Obviously, a very well laid trade acquisition plan. The influence that he had on the beginning of that economy had its high point between 1830 through to the 1840s, where Māori generated 25 times the exports that they were importing. Sadly, things didn't stay like this for long. What happened next in this story is a tragic event, one that continues to hold deep grief for the descendants of Te Pahi.
Here's historian Rowan Howitt. The next major event in terms of Tapahi's relationship with New South Wales was the Boyd Massacre in December 1809. We don't have a really clear account of what actually happened during this event, but what we do know is that the Boyd was en route to South Africa and stopped at Fungaroa Harbour in New Zealand to collect a cargo of timber. It's unclear exactly why the massacre occurred, but the kind of historical consensus is that Tiara, who was a Māori chief from Fungaroa, had joined several British ships as a sailor and had experienced mistreatment, most recently on the Boyd, where he was allegedly flogged by the captain. And this was a, a very serious insult, both to him and to his people. And so, for that reason, it is said that Tiara orchestrated an attack on the Boyd that killed most of the passengers and crew. When British whalers who were in the vicinity became aware of this, they decided to orchestrate their own revenge attack and came to the conclusion that it was Tapahi that was responsible for the attack. That may have been because of a miscommunication. Tiara's brother, Tapui, may have been the one responsible and it purely comes down to a confusion over a name. It's also possible that Tapahi was involved in some way and he does seem to have travelled to Fungaroa soon after the massacre and to have taken some goods from the Boyd. And so the European whalers blamed Tipahi and orchestrated a series of three revenge attacks against Tipahi's pa. Initially they fired um, cannons at it and then there were two direct attacks where they killed a large number of people. We don't know what happened to Tapahi himself. He died very soon after, but it's unclear if he died during those attacks or in the aftermath. The Boyd Massacre certainly brought to an end that short period of optimism, at least for, for the next 10 years or so. Attitudes towards the Boyd Massacre in New South Wales were openly horrified and it led to a lot of deeply negative language used about Māori, including the idea that you can never trust a New Zealander was, was a, a, a quote that emerged out of the responses to the Boyd Massacre. And I do think that the way that relationship turned out would have been a disappointment to King. So in the aftermath of the attacks on Tapahi's pa in the wake of the Boyd Massacre, Tapahi's medal that had been given to him by King disappeared and its whereabouts were pretty much unknown until it was rediscovered and came up for auction in 2014. Who would have known that Tapahi's medal, a taonga, a symbol, a tiny object with a very big story, 
one which confirms Māori sovereignty by the British, who would have known that it would hold such significance? While no one knows exactly how, two centuries later, Te Pahi's medal ended up in that Sydney auction. Sotheby's director Gary Singer has a bit of background information. Oh, it's an Australian vendor, and it has been in the Australian family for many, many years, for many generations. It had been kept safely in a bank vault and it had been part of the family history and the generation who were now the custodians of it thought it was the, the right time to release it and they asked us to offer it for sale. Deirdre recalls how family and friends mobilised to try and return the medal. One of the things that happened was that Australian Māori, Māori in Sydney, specifically Ngā Uri Orahiri, which are Sydney-based Ngāpuhi, heard about the medal, um, were contacted by Hugh, he has a cousin who's part of that group, and the discussion started amongst email about this medal being important and potentially being stolen. They rallied amongst themselves. Um, some of them took direct protest action against Sotheby's, which led to a haka outside Sotheby's the night before the auction. Another member of the group, Marcia Ho, who works in a legal form, talked to her bosses about this medal and its potential to um, be repatriated through injunction. And actually, as the case built up and it was developed, I felt that finally Tpahi might have his day in court, so at least we'd have that, even if we couldn't get the medal back by that means. As it turned out, it was decided not to go to court because no plaintiff could find the money. So it all hinged on that singular moment at the auction. Who would buy it? Would it be the museums or would it be somebody else? Unfortunately for us, it was the museums that purchased the medal with our full support. The medal was finally able to come home. Lanae Pōhatu, Tumuake Director of Māori Projects and Development at Auckland War Memorial Museum, expresses how this was groundbreaking. So, as far as we know, this is one of the first times that the two largest museums in New Zealand have ever partnered together to purchase one taonga. So the, the time period in which we had to make that decision was very quick, so we were hearing what Uri of Tapahi and his iwi were saying that this was a really significant taonga to them. So in that time we had to get some endorsement from the descendants and then make a decision, get some approval internally to spend money on it. And that was done in about a 24-48 hour period. The return of the Tapahi medal is important on a national level. It comes to us at a time when Māori are questioning whether or not they had ceded their sovereignty to the Crown. And here is an object, a tiny object with a very big story to tell about the recognition of Māori sovereignty by the British Crown pre-treaty. So it has a constitutional importance. I think its historical importance is that it speaks of a pact that was made between two very important leaders, one based in Sydney and the other one based in Aotearoa, New Zealand, based on mutual respect. And these are the sorts of relationships that we're still striving towards today. It's a 
relationship of understanding, of mutual respect, respect for each other's sovereignty, of seeing opportunity in each other's culture. You know, the, the people who had the Tonga and maybe other Tonga that belongs to us, they cared for it. You know, they don't know who we are, but they cared for it. And I, I started to think, especially with this one, because it's not a Māori Tonga, it, it belongs here and it was made here. So there's, you don't look at it and say, oh, that's a greenstone, that's one of ours. Sydney-based Marcia Ho, another direct descendant of Tepahi, describes our thinking about kaitiakitanga, or guardianship. Would we have given it that much care if it had stayed with us originally? I hope so. Or would we just thought of it as some Pākehā thing that was given to one of our ancestors and just put it to the side? I don't know. But that was an interesting thought for me and for that we should be grateful that whoever had it had cared for it long enough that it's come back. And that it's come back now, while we're telling Tepahi's story, it could have come back when? Anytime? It's 200 years and it turns up now. Tepahi's medal serves as a navigational tool, a symbol of hope, respect, peace. Sir Hare explains. The time of Tepahi, he embraced the two worlds coming together. Although they were in conflict, but out of conflict comes the resolution for peace, to finding a pathway forward. So Tonga, when they come back, fulfil the promise of the ancestors. We as Māori people have this thing about Tonga travels the world. They're like roadmaps, they tell us where to go. But this Tonga returns, like all Tonga. And my, my advice to our children, to our mums and dads, to grandparents, is that three things really. Allow our children to identify Tonga, to touch it, to feel it, and to know the story behind it. I think our children should be taught how to wear their Tonga on their arm like a badge of honour, and to live up to that honour to be honoured by what it is to have a tipuna like Tepahi. Although he's gone, but his legacy remains, and that legacy is one of friendship, one of bringing people together. And by returning this medal, this Tonga has spoken with its story of hope and peace. May it continue to speak for generations to come. Noreira kiato terangi marie. Kori hiakenga manu takiri mai teata. Kaau kaau kawatea. Tihei mauri ora. The medal that spoke was co-created by Komako Silva, Naranoa Renata, Fetu Silva and Ruth Barron. Dr Jeremy Mayle was the sound engineer in Aotearoa and John Jacobs was the sound engineer on Gadigal land in Australia. 
I'm Kirsty Melville. You've been listening to The History Listen. See you next time. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.